Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And who forgot to put a ring of salt around the year 2021? I don't know. I who feel did? like there were people were just not on their game. No. They were just so happy 2020 was over. Mm-hmm. There were no protective spells. Nope. There was no focusing. <laughs> I don't even know if anyone lit any candles. Not one, not <gasps> near a crystal. Crystals have not been out to charge in the full moonlight. I don't know what's happening. No, 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 no. Y'all slacked. Y'all slacked. Y'all got lazy. Who did it's true. it? It's true. <laughs> can, can you imagine just like New Year's Eve, like walking around <laughs> your house, like putting a ring of salt and like, not today, 2021. Not today. I skipped on 2020. I especially love, there's a, a Japanese tradition for, for a new year. Um, mm. where you uh you throw beans at <laughs> and you yes. like cast the demons out. It's it's pretty pretty awesome. So are the demons in the beans, and you throw the beans out? Uh, you throw the beans at the demon. So usually, like it's like possibly somebody in a mask. <laughs> you throw the beans. Yes. Um. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm not an expert having never participated, but I I love I love the story behind it. I'm like I just need to like that's the best way to get the bad energy out, right? Like throw shit at something. It sure beats cleaning the house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you have to clean the house before that. Ugh, but I just I don't I think all ethnic families are like you want to hide get your shit clean before the new year's. <laughs> oh my god. Before the new year, before you go on uh-huh. a trip, before mm-hmm. people come over. Yes. Like there's so much cleaning. <laughs> yes. I don't know what it is about like different it it is it's so so very very important. It's like essential. Like at least in my family before New Year's Christmas stuff is down. Not just down, put away. Th- that mm. old calendar cannot be out on New Year's Eve. You're just bringing in all that drama from the year before, but yeah, some sometimes I forget it's 2021 cuz it just feels like just an extension of 2020 and I just For real. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was at uh, my office the other day, and I was just looking at my 2020 March <laughs> calendar on the wall, yeah. and I'm like, maybe I just keep this forever. When we moved, I took our calendar because I had it like I colored it for like Easter because every month I'll do a big like little mural at the bottom of it for my daughter, and it was just frozen. It was this artifact, this time capsule, like time literally stood still. I'm like, what do I do with this? Do I burn it? is it you know what I mean like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do I just I I'm currently just leaving it it feels like a horcrux like I don't know what to do with it like do I keep it (laughs) I mean not until you know where those other horcruxes are because if it's if it's a Voldemort situation you don't Uh, yeah you you don't want to mess with that Oh, so on top of us, you know, just slipping on all protective things from from 2021, we're halfway through it, which you're in the month of June, and we are in full swing in our June toolkit this mm. this episode. So it's been good stuff. We it's it's been a lot of material, but it's been really solid material this month. Mm. Yeah, and so today we're going to be focusing just on one book. The book is Caucasia by Danzy Senna, and it's a fiction book, which I think all of our Unicorn Library episodes have been fiction. No, Mm. yes. I know we did one that was kind of a 
documentary slash the book that the documentary was based off of. Yeah. But mostly we've just delved into the world of fiction. I am forever a strong supporter of reading fiction. I know there is some weird, I don't know, cred people feel like they get by reading all nonfiction. <laughs> and, and I do read a lot of nonfiction. She but does. I, but I think that there is so much that we as people can learn from reading fiction. Like more than, and I've said this on the show before, I think, but more than any other type of entertainment, like I feel like it's easiest to really walk in another person's shoes mm. when you're reading it. Because, like, you just have to put your brain there. I love it. So I'm super excited to be talking about this book today. Let's talk a little bit about who wrote this book, about, like, why we're reviewing this book. And then we can delve into the world of the book. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I think another reason why fiction is so interesting, which it ties very much into the author, and fiction has to come from somewhere. Mm. Fiction, come even the most fantastical worlds, if you look at things that are completely immersive that we've treasured, Lord of the Rings, you know, the hobby, think about these huge, beautiful worlds that were created, they're based off of something. Mm. And I think uh, Danzy Senna does such a great job of basing this fictional story. As you see some of the reflections in her, she is a novelist, she's an essayist. She's actually, I think both of her parents were writers as well. Yeah, one's a writer and one's an editor. So they're both kind of in the world of literature. Yeah, so she had no choice. So her her mother's white, her dad is black, and she grew up in Boston, which is also the 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 setting, the the beginning backdrop of this book, Caucasia. It came out. So I didn't know it didn't. It came out that long ago. It was in ninety eight. Yeah, I was surprised too. Um, I didn't realize until after I finished reading the book that it came out so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. At first, it was hard for me to find like reviews or anything from it. I'm like, why? This is a great book. It was supposed to have done so well. And that's when I realized it was 98. I was like, ooh, ooh, how old was I in that time? But yeah, she's currently a, a professor now, but she's written several other books that have also done really well. I, I kind of want to read, oh, what's her newest one out? Out right now. I can't think of it. Uh, New People. There it mm. is. New people. I think I want to read that. I'll put that on the list of eventually getting there. But yeah, she writes a lot about race, specifically mixed um, uh, gender, uh, you know, the, alongside the backdrop of these cities. Yeah. And um, uh, something else worth mentioning is she is very light skinned. Yes. And in many ways could be passing for white, which I think as you read the book, you realize like like you're saying, stories have to come from somewhere and Birdie seems very rooted, uh, mm -hmm. I would imagine, in Danzy's own experiences. I found this wonderful quote from an interview she gave in 1998 <laughs> around the time <laughs> the book came out. Yes. Uh, she said, what's become clear to me through my racial trials and tribulations is that at some point you do make a choice, not mm. between white and black, but between silence and speech. Do you let your body talk for you or do you speak for yourself? Mm. And I love that because I felt like that was so much at what we were trying to get at when we were coming up with with the umbrella uh, for this month's topics is this idea of like, there is a point where your body is speaking for you. People are making assumptions based off of how you look. And there comes like that moment of reckoning of where 
you have to speak for yourself. And I think for some of us, that's like a necessity more than for others, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we we see the whole range within like the mixed community. But I think those of us who are ethnically ambiguous, we either have to make that choice of between speaking for ourselves or silence. And we talked a little bit about that in the last episode. We did. And in in other people's experiences with that, with my experiences with that. And so I think that's, that is like a huge theme of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, there is because there's so, you think of her silence and her situation. So the really quick without, and like I said, at the very top, we have to be like, there's going to be spoilers. If you haven't read the book yeah. and plan to, just join us in the yeah, happy come place. back. Yeah, come back. Come back. We'll, we'll be like, and we're back. And you'll know. You'll hear the music. If this you want to kind of use this as cliff notes, probably don't. <laughs> but just letting you know, this is just the best way to be able to give a full review and honor to the book. But to give the most concise thing, there is this mixed family in Boston taking place in the late 70s, early 80s, which sidebar, I don't know. I mean, you read so much. So you probably, there's certain about this certain time period that you're allowed as a fiction writer to get away with so much because do you know what I mean there's so much of stories written in that 60s to like mid 80s time frame where because of technology where it was and where it wasn't where the world was that there are so many things that I'm like wow we could never do that I can't even imagine I can't imagine like a 12 year old walking down the streets of Boston at midnight you know like I can't I can't picture somebody just getting on a plane and there'd be no questions asked like there's just so much of that that time frame that I'm like oh what a different time yeah um, it's it's funny because it's even even within our lifetimes we're 80s babies we've seen such a change right like mm -hmm. so much has changed in our lifetime but if you just take it back just a couple of decades it's like almost unrecognizable yes yeah so it has this very juicy a juicy time frame of it the family grew up in boston uh the mother is white the dad is black but, but i think he's also might be mixed as well yeah, there is some talk about him, like, you know, seeing Cole, Birdie's sister, uh-huh. is darker. And, uh-huh. like, there, there's some comment that is made about, like, his own, like, blackness being visible in Cole. Uh-huh. But, it, but it's said in a way that makes it sound like he must be mixed also. Uh-huh. Or at least he's, he's insecure with his own racial identity, in exactly. part because he's Harvard educated. Um, and so he feels a bit like a race traitor. I don't know, yeah. a more accurate description, right? No, no, totally. So she has this, and uh, like you said, her father is very well educated. Her mother is the daughter of a professor, blue blood, very highfalutin, influential part of the family. They, uh, they get married, of course. It's frowned upon. They have these two children, Birdie, who could be very white, passing her sister Cole, which is she is mixed, and they do make mention of her lighter color skin, but very still evidently with the darker hair features, fuller features that she has no problem of people identifying her as black the this is <laughs> their family more so their mother is very much uh, a participant in the radicalism <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know a lot of things are said kind of hush hush tones uh and basically between the split of her parents and the heightened uh of people being caught and imprisoned and held accountable for their 
actions within the the movement they go on the run and they split a uh, uh, deck the father takes Cole and his then girlfriend and go down to Brazil and the uh, mother Sandy takes Bertie and they basically go into hiding and it follows of course, uh, Birdie, who is telling the story of what that looks like, because she then has to be, she portrays a Jewish girl in order to pass as white as they're basically on the run. And we kind of follow her. It kind of starts taking a turn of more like a turn of age story. And it kind of reconnects into her trying to find these pieces and reconnects to her family. But yeah, that's the Reader's Digest back of the book summary of the story. Yeah, as far as themes, like it, it very much, like I mentioned, deals with this idea of like passing or speaking for yourself or choosing. It also, you know, it deals with like how much your identity has to be rooted in where you are and who you're around. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like a, a talk of a, a struggle of Birdie finding out who she is and how to express who she is and how to make the world see her for who she is which is this book is like heartbreaking over and yes. over and over oh. again it's oh like my full goodness. of heartbreak girl it never lets up if you're looking for a light read this is 400 pages of oh oh no <laughs> it never lets up like for birdie her point of view like she she is, like you mentioned, passing for most of the book as like being a half Jewish girl, a Jewish girl on her her father's side, her, you know, because it's just her and her mother. But I one thing that I found really interesting about that is it came out of a conversation her and her mother had when they first were out on the run. And her mother's like, What what do you want to be? You could be anything. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, You're gonna be Jewish. So she's like, You could be anything, <laughs> but wait, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna be. So I, I think it's like repeatedly over and over again, Bertie feels like she has no agency in anything that's happening, in how she's presented to the world. And the things she can share with the world um so that's <laughs> one aspect that's super heartbreaking i know well she that, that's what i'm saying is speaking of like the speaking for yourself as opposed to your body telling you she is silenced in so many ways by fear by anxiety by loyalty by yeah. anger there are so many things that are just oppressive and suppressive her like there's a real situation at least as much as she knows that she is that's going on it's a matter of life or death this is not like when she was in school where it was like a discomfort you know Mm. where she was being bullied for you know her she was homeschooled until she decides to go to a predominantly black excellence school in in boston and of course her being white passing having that effect of being teased it's different than when she was on the run with her mother this was a, a matter of safety at least that what she was led to believe that has got to be so gut wrenching, and her trying to hang on to these things. I think one of the um, I was I was writing down here of just like the person plates are things that we can hang on to mm. that feels like ground us into our identity. And with that, we've had several places where we see parts of aspects of her. We have you know persons places certain friends she makes that changes and alters that and these little things tokens she'll see on the way a song she might hear on the radio a food she might eat and it was just i didn't even just realize of how much of these even tangible outside things outside of ourselves have so much to do with our identity oh 
Yeah. It's even people who aren't necessarily her friends, just people who are out in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, there's Samantha, who is a a character later in the book, who is also a mixed Black girl who is being brought up by a white family, but is, is visibly Black. And she, even though she, like, fears interaction with her because of... You know, Samantha is like one of two black kids in the whole school. And so she's ostracized in that way. And she's she's called a slut and she's called all these things, which are all rooted in in conversations we've had about race on the show. Mm-hmm. And she fears that she doesn't want to associate with that. She fears that Samantha's going to figure her out. But she's also constantly looking to her for validation mm-hmm. and to be seen. And and it's something we see over and over again in the book is like there white people can accept Birdie as white when they're told that she's white. And it seems like anyone who is not white automatically knows she's not, even though she's like passing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting look at at this idea of race because she almost serves as like a projection board. Like people just assume, make assumptions about her. Like there's her on the plane and and some guys start speaking. Yes. I I remember the language to her and is like, oh, you're, you're from Pakistan. And she's like, uh, no, I'm not. And um, then the disappointment, right? <laughs> yes. And I was just like, my heart. Oh my yes. God, I've been there a million times. I feel you, girl. Yes. It is so real when I was Because you're yeah. also like aching for that belonging. And mm-hmm. so you're letting somebody down and you're letting yourself down because it like feels so good to be accepted in that moment, even though mm-hmm. it's like you're not being accepted for who you actually are. Oh, I know. Well, there was so, I mean, there's layers and layers of Birdie's heartache. Her constantly wanting to have her father's attention, right? Mm, of, of the mm. approval because her father was very educated and she thought so highly of him, but him obviously favoring his darker skinned daughter. And he seemed cool. ashamed of Birdie. Yeah. Yes. But then in another breath tells her, her mother, none of my kids could ever be passing. <laughs> Yes. Like, that's that's what I'm saying. This book, of course, it centers around Birdie. She's the most, it is filled with people who do not feel right within their own identity. Yes. Like, yes. like Sandy. I want a book about Sandy. Like, we get a lot about her. This chick, like her mother. Yeah. She has got <laughs> the balls. Oof. Yeah. We could sit there on a pack this woman, this woman who comes from a place of privilege, who obviously, like, this is where we talk about, like, the mid-wokeness. Like, she just got testosterone, Mountain Dew amount of wokeness in her, and just it radicalized her to the point to where it's like, are you being helpful? Are you being hurtful? But you could just see these extremes in her fighting herself, fighting her skin, fighting her background. Not, but yet at the same time, not even acknowledging, I think, her own privilege within this. And that was so heartbreaking. I wanted to ask you do you actually think she was actually had any reason to run? Like the whole reason why she left, I kept reading it and I'm like, it's two things. One, she is legitimately in some trouble. And, and yeah. this, and, and, you know, I don't doubt that she was, she was harboring people in their home. Birdie and, and Cole saw a whole bunch of guns coming yeah. out of the house. Yeah. So yes, was she involved in some stuff? Yes. But I think part of the reason was even if she was caught, she was a white woman 
from a well-to-do family, blonde hair, light eyes, she was never going to get in the amount of trouble that other people that were involved were going to be. And I think part of that haunted her. I think she needed to make it a big deal. I think she needed the Mm. feds to be after her. I think she needed to be on the run as this way of almost like punishing so that way she herself was also in arms with her comrades of, you know, fighting the fight and damning the man. I just, part of me is just like, she could not go back because if she could just slip into regular life, she was the betrayer. Yeah, to get all like psychological about it. Within therapy, I've heard a lot about this idea of like your biggest fear kind of becomes like it defines you and becomes like Mm -hmm. something that happens to you. And so I think for her, she's always had this this guilt around her her privilege. And I think she is always she has always feared like not belonging. We see it again and again um, when you talk about her history, Sandy's history. She was close to her father and she felt loved and supported by him, but not in the same way from her mother. And after her father died, there was that like fissure. And I think, you know, she married Deck in part because she met Deck through her father, Uh I think. And that isn't to like completely like flatten their relationship but I think that was part of the factor and so I think she had this fear of not belonging and she kind of turned it into this whole run and escape Mm -hmm. and turned it into a situation where she was forced to hide who she was in order to exist and thus like just nailing that that final nail in the coffin of not actually belonging not actually being close to anyone because she was literally like acting a role her whole life yes i do agree that there was probably some danger there was probably the fbi coming after her to a certain extent i don't doubt that she feared for herself and feared for her her daughters but i do think her reaction was too over the top Yes. Um, not not for the book, but like just as a if we're looking at her as a a person, right? Mm-hmm. Like she overreacted, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It was just so upsetting to read because like the psychological trauma of yes. of what she was doing on her own daughter and how she never once even acknowledged that. Yes. Um, it, she just like I don't know it's also like the very privileged perspective of where she was only really thinking of herself in a lot of those moments Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying never really being settled and people walking in their duplicitousness and their hypocriticalness because even Mm. uh, with deck leaving of them talking about like saying getting into this relationship fully well knowing what this would mean they're both very educated they were both well versed in the world and talking about their kids just being this evidence of you know race mixing and like just having even broken ideas of what it would mean to enter into a relationship where you're when you're diff, like having that yeah. vast difference an interracial relationship i feel like even that was trying to stick a middle finger to society and not based on do we really have what it takes to do this to raise children? Like even Deck, oh Deck, oh this brother, like his kids were a social experiment to him. He's definitely not painted in a good light either. Um, he is <laughs> he is like the stereotypical academic, right? Oh, He's like yes. so engulfed in his books and his thoughts, but not actually putting any of that work into practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you you feel that, and I think the uh, the more. Uh, 
the further he went into his study, the more he felt guilty with being with a white woman. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, there are, the book all but says it. I think he really legitimately yeah. had love and care and miss for it, but his own pride, his intellect, uh, the world treating him in a certain way, because there is a certain way a black man gets treated if he's with a white woman in a certain time period. I think we've both talked about it before, how it's kind of shift into a... Uh, this looks like, a, oh, you were able to get someone lighter skinned. But I think then it was just like, this was this choice. What about black love? What about black power? And now we can't take you seriously in your world of academic, in your race theories, because what do you know? Because you're with a white woman. And I think that finally got to him. There was this huge amount of a pendulum swing of compensation to dealing with his own insecurities with his probably own mixedum. And then on top of that, like having the evidence in front of him and his two children, of that looks so vastly different. I think he could not stomach it. He could not do it. He had to go get himself a sister and prove to him and himself that he he could do it, that he was walking the walk. He was talking the talk. And ugh, both of them. Both yeah. of them. <laughs> I could not stomach the way that Deck let Carmen, his girlfriend, oh. the way she, he let her treat oh. Birdie. Girl. Ugh. 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 I, mm, oh my goodness like uh, all just like that it's so funny because this book feels like because there, there was just before time like I said Bernie kind of like in her childhood before her and her sister split and it talks about their closeness they had their own language with one another Elemento, which was so sweet and how she saw herself in her sister and I'm sure we had this because when we I'm not your um your, your was it your respect I'm not your perfect Mexican, Mexican daughter where it's like you can see yourself so much and that and girl I was just like kept getting smacked with these moments of just like that heaviness of I did not know I didn't look like my mom until someone told me Mm. and she talked about seeing herself within her sister until someone told her the other white's different and having them just had to be separated first by their parents and Cole uh, her older sister who was darker and going to um into public school and start having that divide the world doing that it was just so upsetting of just seeing how the world and itself and how they perceived them putting that huge wedge in between them and once again the mother dwindling it down of if i could just do her hair if i could have just corn rolled her hair yeah and, and that was another <sighs> like example of the mother like I, I thought it was very sweet that she was like wanting to do her daughter's hair but once again her like one of her biggest flaws right she she didn't have anyone like teach her Mm -hmm. how to do the hair she just was like i know how to do this yeah it looks fine and poor cole's over here like people are making fun of me because my hair looks weird like (laughs) ugh. It's just so heartbreaking. So what we have like this foundation of where these girls are. Then we have these side characters of their their maternal grandmother who doesn't want to even acknowledge Cole. And then <laughs> the, mm-hmm. and then we have the school where they don't want to acknowledge Bernie. And then they have their their auntie Dot, which is their father's sister, who is I love this character. I think she's so fun, but she's a darker skinned woman mm-hmm. who they talked about is more spiritual than political. So she is kind of in her own world trying to find herself so it's really hard right. for them to even rely then we have this light-skinned black guy red bone who there is a smoking gun but as this ominous creepy character i i kind of low-key question his importance in the book but i i get it mm. um i i do get it but at the same time yeah 
if this book was being rewritten, not that it needs to be. That part could probably be cut out without losing much. Yeah, I was because at first I thought they were going to put him like, oh, he's the real father. But it just felt like it kind of dwindled into this. Mm. And so we have this, that first chunk of the book is literally just all of this setting up, like their childhood, what that looked like in the time before. And then the, the other, I would say, you know, two thirds of the book is them on the run and then trying to reestablish. I mean, girl, they are traveling. They go to Quebec. They they still stay like in the northeast area for the most part. I was surprised that they didn't travel further. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was so interesting to being on the run. But I know they go up to Quebec for a little bit. They go to a commune. Which how late seventies is that? A commune <laughs> where her mother, you know, experiments with with being with another woman. Mm-hmm. Where Birdie ends up experimenting being with another girl. Yeah, yeah. So- yeah, so it was just, it was one of those things of just like, you know, living out of vans, hotels, having to get up at three o'clock in the morning because they were fleeing for their life. Like I said, it's just breaking, broken down cars, shivering in the night. It's just years and years of just like a torment of them coming up with these new identities, never really being settled. And it was just like you said, each page was just like, my heart just kept breaking. And there was one part of the book where Bernie was talking about her trying to remember all the details of her life before mm-hmm. she was trying to go to bed. And I was just thinking of once again, what do we use to ground ourselves? She was doing mm-hmm. grounding techniques. And I thought so much of that was just so much of things that would be tied to her race. In that time of great trauma and in that time of feeling lost. And it was just, oh, man. Oh, it was so heartbreaking. I don't think that it is a coincidence that it spans this time in Birdie's life. Going back to this idea, this theme of like your body speaking for you, particularly for young women in adolescence, like it is so much about like coming to terms with your body and the way that people are perceiving your body out in the world. So there's like that duality of not only like her racial journey, but also her her just like her journey of becoming a woman and struggling with the way that people look at her and her body. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is so much of being a woman of like not wanting to gaze any attention, but obviously having like sexual desires and wanting to be like looked at adoringly. Like mm-hmm. that is a very hard thing. So you're right though, even the time period they pick between, you know, her going from like nine to like 16 yeah. within the whole realm, but talking about her giving her period. And like you said, her experimentation and just like, like that, t- that time is so critical. And I think we talk about it all the time. That time is so hype- heightened, isn't it? Yeah. Everything is just so much more severe and bigger. So a few years uh, on the run, they finally decide to settle in quotation marks with these new identities in, of all places, New Hampshire, which could they have picked any wider of a place? Right. And it's like, I don't know, like uh, to go back to your point of New Hampshire is like right next to Boston, (laughs) essentially. Like, why stick in that same area if you're really that afraid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably on the side of, like I said, like, was she involved with something? Yes. Was she going to get in that much trouble? Probably not. And which made me despise this character. Even yeah. 
that was hard. So they're settling here. They're on this little property out in farm country. They set it up very well. Like it is very palpable. It's cut off jeans, Budweiser towels, Michael Bolton, or what? What like a Holland Oats playing in the background. They set it up very much of what the temperament and tone of this place looks like. She starting to make friends. I use that word very loosely. Her mother finds a lover that kind of sticks around, which girl, that's a whole other story. But in that, once again, we feel like on the run, they don't really have to necessarily put their stories to the test. But with them settling is when I think Mm. we really see the wear and tear of having this facade really wear on Bernie's character. It really, I feel like this part really amplifies her having to be the fear of my own daughter, of her being very light skinned, being in the presence of white people, of how comfortable they feel talking about other races right. in front of her. And all that that got me so hard because I fear so much for my own daughter of her having that experience. Yeah. And that is once again, very rooted in the author's experience um, Mm -hmm. in the aforementioned interview I read with her. She talks about how she identifies as Black or that she identified as African-American because she was very in touch with, with her culture and in her upbringing. But that she almost functioned as a spy because white people mm-hmm. would talk to her like she was a white person. Oh, exactly. And, and I think when we're talking about this particular toolkit, it kind of lends itself to this side of that. Is she appropriating? Because like I said, the author, yeah. I know she is very much in touch. But once again, has she probably accused been accused of that? I guarantee. Absolutely. She, I guarantee she has. You plug her name into a search engine and like the first thing that comes up is is Danzy Senna black. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes, like, that is so true. You enter like Will Smith. It's not gonna be is Will Smith black. Oh, you know? Actually, it might is be. Is it? Oh well Will Smith is perhaps <laughs> yeah. a bad example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's not shade that's what society has done but yes no i totally feel you on that like absolutely and totally of her having to have validity as an author who has had this very real experience still having to prove herself and we're talking about letting your body speak versus verbally and why some people just become absolutely exhausted verbally she's like what 51 years old and for her and to be a very accomplished notarized recognized author having that still be like her main search engine ridiculous and but that this is why we wanted to do this book this is why we wanted to do this topic to show the wear and tear and the danger of what happens when we project our own views and make them permanent. Like we talked about before in the, in the article of seeing the moon only in part and calling it what we want to call it, even though there's a fullness to the moon, there's all mm-hmm. the moon itself is whole, but us naming it in its parts only. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what's so hard with, with Bertie's character. I thought it was interesting that she picked Jewish, not only because uh, Sandy, I think it was an ode to her father, but also their Jews weren't really accepted either. In this particular, I'm like, if you were really going to blend in, once again, I don't think her mother being very smart, you wouldn't have necessarily picked Jewish. (laughs) Well, I know I talk a lot about like the white women wanting to feel special. I think Sandy is very much in that camp, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I think she she wanted Birdie to be more than Right. Mm -hmm. Because it gives her a certain level of like ability to be beyond like she's constantly fighting against being perceived as just another rich white woman. And she 
even even when they get settled in New Hampshire, like they are renting from a well-to-do white family and she does not like Birdie associating with their son because mm-hmm. she's like, you know, oh, capitalist swine, blah, blah, blah. And her job. Same thing. She gets a job at a really good university and she literally comes home and just talks so much trash about it as well of just like. Yeah, ugh. I mean, she <sighs> she accepts the privileges of being in that world. But she, like, wants to distance herself from it at the same time. Mm. Sidebar. Yeah. I have never written a book. And I'm not... (laughs) I don't think I ever will. But can we in future... um, Not we, but the world. um, What is up with awkward sexual experiences with privileged white boys in these coming-of-ages stories? It's a coming-of-age story, Damika. Haven't you experienced that? <laughs> well, you- <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to keep that in. Um, but, what, but what I'm saying is, in a novel, <laughs> you see this a lot. You see this, you see this a lot. Like, I, Birdie has had some good experimentation with the girl. I think she's a white girl. From what I presumably, presumably, Um, I feel like she would have specified if she wasn't. But the moment the people that they're renting from mentioned they had a son, oh, about your age, I'm like, oh, let me guess. Like I just like it just it kind of wrote itself. And we have we have we have read a few books now where it's just like there's this privileged, cocky, slightly older white boy, and I'm like, let what kind of awkward sexual encounter are they going to have? And what what is this going to have to do with the story? But I will give it this storyline. She mentions wanting to physically be with him, but not it being the same as it was when she was with, I think, is it Alexis? Alexa? The female in the commune? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I something can't like that. But she did mention about actually having that penetration, that kind of thing of feeling like that would kind of be it as far as like her own blackness of having like this white man physically be with her, be Mm. inside of her and even like that kind of hesitation. So even if we're talking about racially, it was starting to even dwindle in into, like I said, intimacy wise, sexuality wise of what that even meant to her. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I would say with this particular situation playing out, I felt it connected a little bit more to the ongoing storyline of her struggling mm-hmm. with her racial identity. I did like that framing. She does like abruptly stop it because she's very caught up in this idea and also grappling with that idea of white men are just using black women. Even though he doesn't know that I'm black, maybe he does know. Mm-hmm. And so so I think there was a good amount of framing around it that made it feel important to the story. I do agree. It does seem to be a bit of a trope um, throughout literature. Uh And I, I think you know this, Damika, that my feeling is always like, I'm like not very interested in romance stories. Uh Like I am interested in relationship driven stories, but not necessarily romantic relationship stories, because I think there is just so much complexity and interesting things that can be explored that don't fall into these reoccurring tropes. Uh But that being said, because of those reasons, I think that it, it is a good fit 
um, it, it for is. this story. And I'm I'm actually really grieved that I don't think she actually the birdie character never really had a true romance in that story. Mm, yeah. I think they do try to add them. Like we said, when we hear coming of age story, we do have sometimes the person they have a romantic connection ends up being the person they have a physical connection with, and sometimes that isn't. But there is always a romance of sort, and I feel like she was devoid of that and. Because she could never really open up to anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just so much a story of of her finding herself, mm-hmm. of her identity. And I think that goes to a larger discussion of can you have a romance? Can you care about another mm-hmm. person until you care about and know yourself? Girl, I, I feel that is a very driving force. I think that has really picked up speed in the last like 10 years of like yeah. why self-care, self-love isn't self-centered it is or self-serving it is imperative in order to truly love someone else but yes let's i'm gonna put that on the shelf right there (laughs) but it's um oh gosh i just every time i think of this this story i just feel like there's just no relief and there's so many things that are, are triggering just for myself of being mixed triggering for me as a mother of a white passing daughter that gives you pause and gives you places to think about how do you arm a child? How do you prepare a child to always have to speak for themselves when they are not perceived in the identity that they feel the most comfortable identifying with? There's absolutely a lot. And you know what's even crazy with this particular story? I don't... Is it a happy ending? I don't know. Mm. But, uh, like, it's yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a level of resolution but not entirely. Totally spoilers, but I I think one issue I do have with the book is this is with the ending. Is with this idea of like California is the promised land. Oh, which <laughs> as someone who lives in a state that is constantly being like overrun by Californians. <laughs> um <laughs> Just saying, lots of people are leaving California. But no, I, I think and I feel like it does it does mirror the the writer's own experience because she did grow up in the Northeast, lived her life in the Northeast, and then she moved to California for her MFA. So I wonder if there is and not and into Southern California, not Northern mm-hmm. California, where Birdie ends up and clearly, you know two decades later so it's not it's not exactly the same but i i don't think california is necessarily like this promised land this place where like you're free to be whoever you are and there's Mm -hmm. mixed race people everywhere and it's berkeley in the 70s and like i don't know (laughs) i it didn't sit right with me I I I tend I tend to agree, or to make it seem like that was that was going to lead to a happy ending of finding Mm. a place where, as the book says, of where mulattoes could be, like where where they finally can be. You know, I don't I don't think that. I think just being in a place where there's more people like you. But as the book has proven, no two mixed people are alike. So yeah. doesn't does it necessarily always matter? Like if I think you and I can speak to this, is it nice to be around other mixed people? It sure is. But eventually, like we all have to go into our perspective worlds. Like we're not all there's not a commune of mixed exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah, we're not all the same. Like it's it, we're not a monolith. And the fact that there is a lot of race mixing that might happen in California is great. But like race mixing still happens within a racist society. <laughs> so yeah. Exactly. So I, I I get it. 
I, I do. I do hear what they were going for as, as far as feeling a little bit safer and maybe being even slightly easier. That's the thing. When you've had a, a story as tragic as Birdie's, even the slightest amount of relief, her seeing a couple of the mixed kids was like a beacon of light yeah. <laughs> for her and her yeah. mind. And for that, I did see it. I, I think as far as that goes, her seeing Samantha's character was so tragic and heartbreaking and her having such little exposure to black people since fleeing Boston. There's like these little glimmers of hope of maybe it will get better. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it wasn't meant to be this utopian world of just like, it's gonna get better. Yeah. I don't know, but I don't know. uh, It's, (sighs) a lot of things like we talked about, is it a perfect resolve? It, It really, really isn't. But I think the main character is in a place where maybe healing can start taking place. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's a strong maybe. Like, this book really lends itself to having, like, a second part to it. Like, if, if that was in the cards, like, it, it has a very much, like, openness to that. If it was a movie, it would make me so mad. Because it would obviously be set up for a second, for a sequel. <laughs> but Yeah, sure, there's probably more to tell of Birdie's story, but, like... I don't, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't need, I don't need more to the story, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would say like, I would, I guess I would agree that it's a hopeful ending, not necessarily a happy ending, mm-hmm. but any other final thoughts about this book? Would Would you recommend this book and who would you recommend this book to? Um, I would, I would say, don't read it if you're looking for something light, something breezy. I don't think it's not the most traumatic book I've ever read. I'll, I'll get that across. I wish I wasn't so busy because I had to like almost like just go through it. I had to just finish it. I couldn't mm-hmm. read it, sit with it. Because like I said, there were some parts of the book that were like a little triggering for me because it was like I, I felt it in a very, very deep way. And sometimes I think in a book like that, you need to have breaks. So if you have the time, if you're looking for a good like summer read, go ahead and read for it. I would recommend this to mixed kids. Of course, literature where you talk about where you can imagine yourself in the shoes of anybody is good. So to our co-conspirators, yes, I would. To our BIPOC, yes, I, I would recommend this to most people. But I think specifically to mixed people, if they just almost just to have like that sounding board of that feeling of not being alone, even if you're not mixed in the way that Birdie is. We've talked about this before. There are so many similarities in these journeys that I think you can see yourself, even with the Samantha character that was adopted. I thought it was interesting to bring in a girl of color who was adopted by a white family because we've had an episode about that, about the parallels that we can sometimes feel within that, that placement. Yeah. What about you? Would you recommend this? Would you, who would you recommend it to? Yeah, I would say it was a good book. I would recommend it. I do agree that I think it would resonate a lot with um, anyone from a mixed background because there are just pieces that all of us can latch onto, I think, and relate to. That would be mostly who I would recommend mm-hmm. it to. Allies and co-conspirators would probably enjoy it. It's it's a well-written book. I do think that it is... Not a light read, like you said. Not necessarily an easy read. It's not like the language is difficult or anything, but it is wordy. Um, And so sometimes if you aren't in the right mindset, it can be hard to read. But I think that's just that's just the style of Mm -hmm. of literature that it is. And it could just be I'm 
I was tired and trying to read it at <laughs> night. And it was, <laughs> I found myself having to reread portions. It's because it's very much the story of Birdie and like, pardon the pun, but it, it can be kind of flighty. Like there are big jumps sometimes that happen throughout the story. But yeah, I would recommend it. It's a good book. Mm-hmm. It's been on my to-read list for years. <laughs> so I'm glad that we we decided to read it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had time. Like there were quotes. Maybe I'll just we um when we post this, we can like maybe post a quote or two from it. Um, What's your favorite really quote? Good. You have one you want to share? Oh, I don't. I have, there's one where especially like Dot. Dot's character. She is so I love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, daggone it. There's too many of them. Uh, oh, here, how about this one about, I think, Birdie, like I said, we talked about it. It was spoilers. Birdie is actually able to find her father and find her sister. And Birdie talks about that she had been passing and her dad kind of like brushes off. Once again, he's this academic. He's like, but she's like, I've been passing as white. He's like, oh, but baby, there's no such thing as passing. We're all just pretending. Race is a complete illusion. Make believe. It's a costume. We all wear one. You just switch yours at some point. That's just the absurdity of the whole race game. And and I think we were talking about like that race being a construct and that early language in we talked about this forming of this idea of people kind of breaking from that and this whole time Birdie being very burdened with the idea of like passing does that portray her father does that portray where she's come from and to be told that it's just you're you're pretending it's not really a thing I was like my heart was like oh come on throw this girl a bone <laughs> yeah it was yeah just um, I I had that that quote highlighted as well and I think. It also just speaks once again to his like stuck in in the like mind and the academic definitions of things and being removed from the actual lived experience, mm-hmm. right? So, and then I had one uh, one that I really liked was, and this is just to be from the other side. This is from Sandy. Mm. My father had said white liberals were a disease. At least you know you're dealing with an inadvert racist, but a liberal was more slippery. You could lose yourself. Mm. Sandy's daddy did not play. No. I wish Birdie and Cole could have known their grandfather. Me too. I, I think I, I think between having a closer relationship with their aunt Dot and their their maternal grandfather would have made such a huge difference in their life. I think so, too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, we grieve for these fictional characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm. should, we, should we get slightly mad or do, do we have time? Yeah, let's get a little bit mad. We'll just keep it brief. Mm. All right. What are we getting mad at? Well, before I get mad, <laughs> happy Pride. Happy Pride. <laughs> happy Pride. We always try to make sure that this space feels safe to our LGBTQI plus unicorns out there. And this this year in particular, Danny, I don't know it. That rainbow is making more money than the Amazon guy. Like... <laughs> girl like i feel like the rainbow is going to be on forbes top 10 list like the actual physical rainbow is just going to be like with money guns like i'm making money 
holy cow, they are merchandising the living daylights out of the rainbow this year. Does it seem particularly bad? It does. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's felt like pride has become increasingly commercialized, right? Mm -hmm. The last pride parade that I went to, 2019, it felt like too commercial for me. Mm. <laughs> and I think we, we've we heard this from lots of people just all around in recent years. But yeah, this year there seems to be a lot more discussion on what this the corporate takeover is, especially in the online realm. I've seen there is like some some viral post that was going around that was showing different corporations' uh, logos on their U.S. Twitter page versus their Twitter page in other places and how they're all rainbows here. But, you know, the places where there are a lot more, I mean, I don't want to say more pushback because we know there's like a huge wave of anti-trans legislation going through all sorts of things. So it's not like we live in this great country either, (laughs) but I mean, there are plenty of places around the world where our LGBTQIA plus siblings could use some, some support, some pushing it into the mainstream. And these corporations are just like, nah, this isn't, this isn't going to make us money over here, mm-hmm. but you know, like in the U S by all means, let's, let's be performative and change our logo to a flag uh, that a <laughs> rainbow flag. And mm-hmm. yeah, that means we're cool. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, so gross. Like, like this was something that was grating up against me and it's hard. Cause as a co-conspirator, it's one of those things that like, once again, I want to be, making sure I make space for who this is supposed to be for. I want to make sure I'm amplifying the voices that deserve to be amplified and I should be available if they need my voice in the space. And so if some feel like I'm glad, I'm happy, like I want more stuff to be available, but there was... Uh, in my um, in my email, <clears throat> there's a certain cl- a couple oh, clothing no. brands that like, welcome to our pride line. Here is our pride collection. And that's what it feels like. It feels Everyone like a Everyone has a pride collection, a right? A collection. Because what, what is a collection? Like you and I, like in the fashion world, it's the certain limited brand, limited design, groupings of certain amount of clothes. And it's kept here. And when it's done, it's done. It's a collection and that's all that it is. It's not making it available always. This is not something that they're infiltrating. This is not something that's supposed to be be part of their merchandise. It is a collection and when it's done, it's done. And that's the part that was, is just upsetting to see that it's the same thing with like Black Lives Matter. And we talked about blacking up things. It's just, it's that performative acts of um, support. If I actually thought these companies were being inclusive and hiring trans, hiring gay or non, non uh, non-binary workers to them to be able to improve um, work and outreach. Like I would be all for it. I'm like, yes, girl, give me that rainbow sports bra. Cause I like, I like it. I enjoy it. Like I'm not mad at the things that are coming out, even if some of it might be ugly. I, I love when people discuss ugly pride clothes that are coming out. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's my all time favorite. But if I really believed it wasn't just supposed to be a collection, something that's made in short and to be discarded when it's done. Yeah. We get into the talk of appropriation, right? Mm-hmm. Like don't be throwing your money at brands that are doing nothing to help 
the LGBTQIA experience, mm-hmm. life, everything. Mm-hmm. It's just like the the rise of encouragement for people to like support Black businesses mm-hmm. following the resurgence of Black Lives Matter last summer. Like, mm-hmm. Instead of throwing that money at these limited edition pride collections from like Adidas, like mm-hmm. let's let's put our money towards businesses that are actually LGBTQIA plus always and have always been. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I hate it. And I hate how yeah. like it's the struggle of yes, we want to normalize and put yes. this out into the public and totally and make it something visible and make it something that people can see and accept and understand, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But when it's corporations just trying to take advantage of it, I if it's gross, I don't like it. Yeah, it makes me so sad because I feel like I'm like finally there there there's places and there's like you said there's space and there's voice. Uh but I I'm like, and this time next month, what is it going to look like? Yeah, no. And it, yeah. and it makes me it makes me grieve for my brothers and sisters out there the same way they would grieve for Black Lives Matter, for Stop Asian Hate. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be very much for each other and for authentic representation. And I feel like some of it's inauthentic and that as my job is someone to support, I have to do that work in order to make sure it's going towards something that is part of the movement and actual part of change. You as part of the community, you get to shop and do whatever you want, baby. That's you. But it's my job as as, as an ally to make sure I try to be as wise with the decisions I make. So I don't know. I feel like I've been social media wise, very, very like quiet. I think because of just trying to like reconcile of like, I want it to be normalized not like this. But. Yeah, I hate capitalism. I hate the capitalist society we live in. But the the truth of the matter is money speaks, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you have that money and you're like, I want to show support by buying this rainbow sports bra from Nike, like, mm, maybe think twice. Maybe think like, where can I put that money to help support actual LGBTQIA plus lives. Mm -hmm. And right now there is so much legislation that is being pushed. So that money would be better spent working to fight this anti-LGBTQIA plus legislation. So yeah, that that would be my encouragement. Um, (laughs) And if you're like absolutely in need of the merchandise, you need to like show your pride, especially as an ally, I would recommend doing your work, doing your research, finding a company whose mission actually aligns with what you're trying to say by putting these things on your body or on your water bottle or wherever you're putting any of this capitalist merchandise so yeah that that's yeah. that's my that's my request out into the world for for pride month <laughs> all right let, let's do this now and i think that would give us a much happier pride all right well let's uh let's get happy yeah happy this week, Damika? As you know, my life's a bit crazy. Time's a bit short. 
Um, mm. But I, I think I might have... My husband very sweetly surprised me with a new video game. I have never been one to call myself a gamer, but, you know... Um, but I've taken it up in the last few years. I like mm. it. I enjoy it. But you bought me the game Spirit Fair, and it is so lovely. I cannot wait until I can have more than like 10, 15 minutes to play it. It's just this beautiful, gentle game where you are this beautiful, like brown spirit girl named Stella, and you're helping people cross over into they've they've died, and you're helping them cross over to the beyond or whatever and it's just cute it has like some farming some gathering some mining it's just like a mishmash of all these other kind of games but it's just really beautifully done i love the landscape it takes place on a boat so it's on the ocean and um the color palette's beautiful the music is stunning i love the the characters and their conversation and their backstories and so yeah and my daughter loves just to sit with me and cuddle and talk about it and that's like my little break in between work and such so it's really sweet it's really really nice i like when we can do things that are together so yeah that seems like a great game for you. I haven't played it, but I know it has pretty like Stardew Valley vibes to yeah, it. So it I think does. it's a good one. And I, I'm familiar with the music and the music's beautiful and familiar with the graphics. So and I, gorgeous. yeah, it's, it seems like a, one of those like great relaxing sort of time set games, which I'm mm-hmm. all about. Girl, it was on a deal. So if it comes on a deal, you got to nab that. Yeah. Yeah. I am also not in a place where I have time to play video games at the moment and probably won't for the next several years. But that is that is neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like I said, every time I'm just like I'm like I I look at the I'm like I'm never gonna really progress, but it doesn't matter. I think it's just yeah. something different and something pretty. My house is being like different renovations, home ourselves renovations, so you know it's not pretty. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> takes so need- long. It's <laughs> so long so it's nice to look at something pretty but what are what about you what are you doing to make yourself happy yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with um i know this is a unicorn library episode but i'm gonna go Mm. with a book yes and so i'm totally late to the game full disclosure so the book that i would like to talk about is 11 22 63 by stephen king I bought this book when it came out and then proceeded to never read it, <laughs> getting too it's like too excited about all the other books. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I bought it on Kindle. If I had bought the physical version, I'm sure I would have read it. Mm. So it's just been sitting there as an electronic file for a long time. A while back, I had been holding off watching the TV series because I was like, oh, I should read that book before I watch the TV series. <laughs> Gosh, how old is that book? Uh, I'm going to say it's like five years, maybe. I'll, I'll look it up while we okay. talk. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to add. I mean, I haven't read it either because, well, same. But yes. It might even be older. Prepare yourself. Okay. Um, It was public. Oh, gosh. It's almost <laughs> 10 years old. <laughs> no. Did you- I don't no. know if I've had it the full 10 yeah, years, to I be don't, fair. Let's say let's um, not, yeah, you didn't do that. You're young. Yeah, no, I was definitely living in Albuquerque when I bought it. So at oldest, I could have had it eight years. <laughs> but Ejola. yeah, anyways, it's been a long time coming. I finally like just gave up and decided to watch the series with my husband a while back. And we really, really loved the series. Ooh. I thought it was so well done. So then I was like, well, I should read that book. And I think the book is even better, as is always the case. 
But I, I would say anyone who is a fan of time travel really needs to read the book. Alternate history, science fiction, general Stephen King fans, looking at all of you. I just, Stephen King is so prolific. Like he puts out so many books. But then Dude. I'm reading this book and I'm like, the amount of research like he must have done to be able to write a book that's like, set in a historical era and very much surrounding a historical event. I'm like, how does he have time? I know, I know uh homeboy was big on the cocaine in the eighties, but I, I thought he was sober. I'm like, how do you have time? No, he doesn't write. I'm sorry. He doesn't write like a sober person. I don't know. I know he, this is, this is going to be in poor taste. You ready? I know he was, <laughs> he was, he was hit by a car and they, he, mm. he wrote a bag of bones about that. But do you think he like made a deal with the devil? He's just like, look, I just want to write like 500 more books and then you can have my soul, which would also be a Stephen King book. Like, that's true that's like, true yeah i i'm curious now how many books he's written i know that eleven twenty two sixty three was his 49th book and that was 10 years ago so that is crazy steven calm down steven. can't stop won't stop <laughs> do you think he, ha- he you think he has a team like I don't want to degrade his work. He's such a solitary person, though. Here, here's what I will say about Stephen King. Um, okay. Personal I, friend. Yeah, I uh, Stephen King. Steve. Yeah. Can I call yeah. you Steve? Yeah, Steve. He he's a listener. He listens. <laughs> yeah. So I think he writes a lot. He writes very lengthy books. People seem there's like a couple of camps, right? Some people are really snooty about it and are like, oh, that's not good literature. And then some people are are really into Stephen King. But what I will say about his books is I almost always feel like they could use more editing. (laughs) So I think I think part of how he's so prolific. He's like an amazing writer and is able to crank these things out and probably like he definitely does rewrites because who who would yeah publish a first draft right but mm-hmm. but I think he doesn't spend as much time in the editing process as a lot of people do. But it would why be would my he? Guess. It, it's like it's almost a style though. Like it's like it's a very Stephen King. Like could you take the whole middle of it and throw it away? You sure could, and still have the same story. But this is it's all it's him now. Like he his name is enough. Yeah, you know. And so I think you got to that point where it's like, he doesn't have to suffer through it. He's like, I wrote what I wrote. I said what I said. (laughs) Yeah. So I just looked it up. It looks like um, he has published at least 81 books. (gasps) So he's published 62 novels, um, including seven under Richard Bachman. He's also written over 200 short stories, most of which have been put into book collections so yeah i mean i have never worked that hard at anything in my life Uh. (laughs) that's intense well yeah well now see all you had to say was time travel now that i'm in okay i'll have to like yeah it's yeah i don't know if you know much about it but it's it's basically the story of someone who is going back to prevent the assassination of jfk Mm -hmm. that's like the very short back of the Nice. Oh, and I like once again. I love that time period. My mom yeah. is a huge fan, so I she, she I remember I'm her sure telling she's me it, about. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure she had. I remember her telling me about the series, and I think she did the same thing. Like she waited to read it, 
I think she's one of those. But yeah. Yeah. No, I ended up just watching the series without reading it. And I would re- I think I would recommend the order in which I did it. Watch mm-hmm. first and then read. All right. Well, let's get cracking now that I'm done with that other 400 all page book of heartbreak. <laughs> oh, yeah. You yeah. don't even want to know how many pages. <laughs> 112263 is. is. Oh is my that god. How many pages? It, it is, is so <laughs> many. Um it is not as long as The Stand, which is famously oh Stephen god. King's longest book. Just lugging that around just gives the like you you don't want to talk to people. If no. you have that book, you bring that to not for people not to approach you. Yeah, but 112263 is 850 pages. So, you know, I've just been reading it between other things. I'm about done. I'm I'm approaching the end here. All right. But. Well, you well, you've earned it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. This is this this will be the third book that I have finished since I finished reading Caucasia last week. So See, whatever. What whatever. So, you what, know, no big. Yeah, what whatever, Danny. <laughs> okay. Demika over here to the wee hours by candlelight trying to finish reading it in between yeah. science I'm over here. I don't have time to play video games. <laughs> Self-shade. Self-shade uh, is the best shade. I'm the same thing. I can't sew, said like the three books that are just like she just read us violently. I don't know. <laughs> Can you go so, please? <laughs> all right, y'all. We want to hear about all yes. the books that you have read. Hopefully, yeah. Caucasia is one of them, and you have yes. some thoughts and feelings you want to share with us. Mm-hmm. You can reach us via email by racialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. We want to give a huge shout out to Deli Pop Art. You know who she is. She has made our very iconic unicorn logo. Please go check out her stuff. She's on Instagram. She's got a store going on. She's got stickers. We, we know you need stickers. Go support that. Yes. Also, we want to give another shout out to Joseph Scott, who's done our very iconic intro and outro music so smith's photography who's done some of the lovely photos for us and i just want to give a huge shout out to our unicorns who have subscribed these things help us writing a review and giving us the highest rank of stars writing us something really nice and sweet uh, really helps us but also subscribing um that really helps us the, the the world of the algorithms and what that does is just get our information into the hands of other unicorns and our co-conspirators in order to continue to encourage people to be bold, to take up space, to be seen, to be heard. And yeah, if you have any other suggestions for us, topics you want us to do, movies you want us to write, please go ahead and hit us up in the information that Danny just gave. Yeah. And most of our unicorns out there have found us via word of mouth. So mm-hmm. if you know anyone who you think would like the show, just, you know, take their phone and, and download our podcast onto it. <laughs> Very respectfully. Just very like, respectfully. And like, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you know their unlock code, like, why not? Yeah. Hello. Who doesn't need a little bit of us in their day? It's true. Pe- the world's opening up. People have commutes again. You're going to yes. need something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for spending this time with us. Mm-hmm. We will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Mm-hmm. All right, peace. Out.